But let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we uh, thank you again for your word. We ask you that you would touch our life, Lord God, that you would do a great thing in our midst today, Lord. Again, Lord God, here we sit, here we stand, Lord God, ready uh, to partake of your word, to feed upon uh, the very words that come from your heart, Lord God, to us. Help us not to be hypocritical in our stance. Help us, again, to be what you are calling us, what you're calling me to be today, Father. May your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know many of you have uh, lived through the 60s. There was not only a war going on, as you know, in Vietnam, but a few well-known leaders were assassinated, like Dr. King and John F. Kennedy and Medgar Evans, Malcolm X and Robert Kennedy. In addition to these situations, there was the anti-war movement, the civil rights movement, as we are well aware of, and even a Hispanic and Chicano movement, which also fought to end racial discrimination and economic disparity. The decades leading up to the 60s, by a lot of means, was really no different, especially in the 50s. Then, uh, and even given us a sense now, it feels and it felt as if our country was coming apart at the seams. I recall as a child having to come indoors because my parents didn't quite know what was going to go on outside next. I vaguely remember some people starting protests uh, even down our street. I, I vaguely remember this. And I remember as a kid uh, wanting to be with all the other folks, uh, not really understanding the full impact of what had just happened. But I knew in my heart that there was something strange going on uh, that I was obviously not wise enough or smart enough to grasp. But the 60s was also a time of R&B and the introduction of Motown and the signature Motown artists like the Temptations and the Supremes, the Four Tops, Smokey Robinson and little Stevie Wonder. But music that reflected the times did not exclusively originate from the United States. As you just saw, there was a group of young men who recorded a song which expressed the desire of many throughout the world, that desire for peace, calm, love, and unity. Could that even be said today? They were the Beatles recorded the song, All You Need Is Love. Here it is, love, 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 they say. There's nothing you can do that can't be done, that is, with love, that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung, 
Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. Why? Because all you need is love, love, love. There's nothing you can know that isn't known. Nothing you can see that isn't shown. There's nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. It's easy. Why? Because all you need is love. Love, love. These lyrics are a testament to the deep desire of the hearts of people who wanted more in life. They wanted more than war. They want more than violence. They want more than a disconnected society. And as in the 60s, the same thing can be said of today. Today, there's a great instability rocking our nation. For people, they want more. Our world wants better for itself, and many, however, are not willing to cross certain lines to get it. They want more, but uh, there's one line I will not cross. The Beatles saying, all we need is love. In other words, the Beatles were crying out for the fruit of the Spirit. Today we continue our message, what the world wants. Well, how far is God willing to go to get his will done in the first place? Let's re return back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you hear what Paul said? These characteristics seem more evident in our society than any other time. We're talking about today. But I tell you again, as I told you last time, that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us about character. When we read through this, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit who wants to speak to us about character. But how can God use a negative situation to bring about his will? Well, it's quite easy if you really think about it. Again, he may allow a person with no character to create an environment that is so toxic that we begin to cry out for justice. We begin to return to our roots Return to the fact that there needs to be morality and godly morality. In fact, there is a preacher in one of the Carolinas, maybe North Carolina, that I think he created back in uh, 2015. Uh, see, back in 2015, uh, this preacher, he saw this and he saw it coming. And he created this movement that he called Morality Monday. Morality Monday in which uh, 
he's calling people to return to justice, return, uh, to return to righteousness. Uh, this is what he wanted. But as long as we are comfortable, as long as we are accustomed to having things our way, we will never relent and will continue to reject the things of the Spirit in favor of the flesh. As long as you're okay, uh, you and I want to keep the status quo. Why should we change if we're okay? If we have all the things that we want, if we are on top of our game, why should we change? Last time we may have heard about Nebuchadnezzar, but I want to speak to you very quickly about Pharaoh, whom the Lord used to demonstrate his power to Egypt and also to his people. Romans chapter 9, verse 17. Romans 9, 17. It says here, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So Pharaoh was used by the Lord to point to his, that is, God's authority over all things, including Pharaoh himself. Why is that? I'm not sure if you knew this, but uh, Pharaoh was not just king of Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh didn't just have an empire, but they thought that Pharaoh was a manifestation of a god. So many in Egypt worshipped Pharaoh as God. Imagine that if you would. Here is a man that's also God. See, the devil always attempts to use counterfeits in order to fool and entrap people in his web of lies. You see, if uh, the, the demonic world can get you to believe that Pharaoh was a god and it turned out not to be so, then when the Messiah, when Christ, when Jesus uh, comes along who uh, says that I am deity, that I am God, you see, the world has already been bamboozled and they say, you know, Pharaoh said the same thing and he was no god. Jesus is saying the same thing. I don't see him right now, and therefore he's not a God, and I reject him as well. You will be led to think Jesus is not God, thereby rejecting sacrificial atonement, redemption, and salvation. The whole point about this deals with how God can use anyone for his purpose. But how character... It really matters. If you don't exactly know how God leads in His Word, then it is imperative that we listen to the guidance of the Spirit. So the works of the flesh are in opposition to the fruit of the Spirit. Again, preventing us from doing what we know what we really want to do in the first place. Again, Galatians 5.17. You should have this down by now. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. As you hear this, uh, this should elicit 
to in your mind under the scriptures, specifically in Romans chapter 7. Uh, flip back to Romans chapter 7, verse 15, very quickly. Here Paul speaks again of the inward struggle that happens with one who's supposed to know Jesus Christ. He says here, Romans 7, 15, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Again, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Seeing that Paul was the one who penned these letters, it becomes worth our while to understand that this is a real struggle for believers. Frankly, it flies in the face of those who have theological underpinnings which support the view that uh, true believers never struggle. There's some folks say that if you're saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, you will never struggle. I've heard that over and over again. Oh, brother, well, the reason that you struggle because you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Or the reason that you struggle, probably because you're not saved in the first place. Come on over here, let me lay hands on you so you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and no longer struggle. I'm here to tell you that that's a false doctrine. And I'm telling you it's a false doctrine, not only according to what we see in Scripture, which, uh, number one, tells us uh, that it is a reality for us, but also for those who even suggest this in the first place. How many times have I seen over and over and over and over again that the very people who say that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, that when they walk away from church on Sunday, they live like hell on Monday. These are the same people who, indeed, there's nothing running around in church, amen? If the Spirit of God hits you so powerfully that makes you want to run, then I tell you, go ahead and run. But on the other hand, I tell you that just because you're running does not mean you will never ever struggle again with sin issues. Because you will. As sure as you are alive today, you will struggle. But we thank God for His grace. We thank God for His mercy. Because we know that we are not perfect. Amen? I'm first to tell you that I am not perfect. And I know you all not perfect, uh, but I am not perfect. So what we get, if you are followed of Christ, is what the world wants. What we get, if you are a follower of Christ, what you truly get is what the world wants, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, how do we distinguish whether we're operating by the Spirit or by the flesh? Again, we're going back and forth. The Spirit and the flesh, am I operating here or am I operating there? Where one way to determine this first is to ask yourself if you know Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, trust me, you don't have the fruit of the Spirit. 
You say, well, wait a minute, I know some people, they, they really act in love and self-control. Yeah, they got uh, a semblance uh, of that because they're made in the image of God. I say, yes, but the fruit of the Spirit only comes via Jesus Christ. The actions of the Spirit or the flesh are determined by the presence or the absence of God in your life. That relationship if you have the fruit of the Spirit, it's seen through a relationship with Jesus as your Redeemer who has forgiven you of your sin. And not only in that sin we inherited from Adam, right? So there's this big, giant uh, sin that all of us are born with, but also in those everyday sins that we do. Amen? Uh, those things that we struggle with back and forth on this roller coaster, uh, trying to discover uh, whether or not if something is wrong with us. Even for that, Jesus Christ has also delivered you. But through salvation, uh, your relationship with God has been elevated. And because your relationship with God has been elevated, it diminishes the effectiveness of ethical and moral sin on us. Again, it diminishes its impact, but that does not mean it has all of a sudden disappeared. Yet even moral and ethical sin must be confessed before the Lord. And we know that according to 1 John chapter 1. You still don't get a free pass. So then how do we distinguish whether we operate in the flesh or in the spirit? Again, look at the list in Galatians 5, 19 through 23. Just take a look at that. It's quite a few verses. And simply ask yourself this question. Do I operate more in the flesh or more in the spirit? Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like, in other words, more stuff that you do. More stuff that we do. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, is that you? Patience. Is that you? Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Which of those lists describe more of you? Which of those lists would your husband or your, or your wife would say is true of you. Which of that list would your brother or sister say is true of you? And whatever is not true of you, then you need to go before the Lord and confess your sin and ask for the Spirit to be intensified in your life. So what the world wants is what disciples of Jesus have. What the world wants is what you have if you are a follower of Christ. Again, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Uh, they say all you need is love, love, love. In other words, they can uh, change the lyrics and say all you need is the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Because we know that the love that the world brings us is only temporary. Think about that for one moment. Think about the war. 
Think about the protests. Remember the 60s? Uh, some of you used to tell me about the 60s, right? Uh, tell me how, how they used to hold up two fingers, which means peace. So they uh, not only wanted love, uh, but they also wanted peace. Isn't that one of the fruit of the Spirit? Peace, man. You know, they wanted to have their giant love feast and their love fest. And things calmed down for a period of time. But yet, here we are again. People with their signs, love, not hate. Peace, unity, they're saying the same things. What happened to all the love and peace from yesteryear? You see, the peace and the love and the unity that the world brings on us, it does not last. It's only temporary because it's created by man. But as you look at the fruit of the Spirit, ask any person and see if they would not want any of these things for themselves, their communities, their nation, and see what they say. You ask the person that lives over here in Inglewood, do you want peace, love, kindness, self-control, and patience in your community and on your block? What do you think they would say? You don't even have to go there. You go downtown in the city and you ask the people that live there, uh, do you want peace and love and patience and kindness and, and gentleness and self-control? What do you think they'll tell you? They will tell you yes. So from the highest to the lowest of incomes, from the best uh, to the least best of communities, uh, these are things that people want. God gives this to us. He says that by giving this to us, he, he places us on the same plane. In essence, that there's no one better than the next. I'm no better than you, and you are no better than me. That's just the way it is. But yet, the way that sin couches our mentality, our philosophies, our way of thinking, even in our democracy, our democracy says the more things that we get, the better. But the problem with that thinking is, if I get more, that means that someone else would have to have what? Just the way it goes. Uh, that, that money flows from, uh, or resources flow from one place to the next. For instance, uh, that you go to your job and you earn a dollar, whatever you earn on your job. And then you need to take that dollar and purchase something at the store. So you give the store owner that dollar, they take that dollar and they give it to the people that they owe, Right? And, but you do it over and over again, over and over again, and then they amass more and more, over time, that's the way it goes, right? They amass more and more and more and more, and then next thing you know, they raise prices, but your salary has not been raised. Now you have to cut back, but you still have to give that same dollar to them. Ultimately, what ends up happening is they have more, uh, they live better, and now they're saying, well, we don't care. I'm going to raise prices. I don't care how you live. It's just the cost of doing business. See, ultimately, some people will hate to hear this, but this is a reality. The bottom line 
if you are a Christian, that Christianity is a very, a very social justice, a very a commune type of community. It is a community where we are supposed to share and share a lot to make sure that no one is suffering. This is the word of God. But see, some people, they take that and say, well, that may be true, but in a democracy, I'm not concerned about the things of the spirit. The only things I'm concerned about, how can I look out after myself? <laughs> it's very fascinating. So this is the reason that some reject this idea of equal standing. They really don't know the word of God. So what we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ are the seeds of social change from the inside out in the fruit of the Spirit. The inside starts with salvation and the out uh, continues with the right treatment of the less fortunate. This is nothing less than the kingdom of God at work. But those who oppose the work of God's kingdom would simply dismiss this again as nothing but social justice and maybe even call it socialism. But if we are familiar with Scripture, and say amen, if we are familiar with Scripture, then we know God is the originator of social justice, but wait a minute, according to His holiness. I have to say that because some will take this idea of social justice and twist it and turn it to be something very vile and unholy. Isaiah chapter 1. Verse 16 and 17. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17. The prophet says this. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. This is something that we see throughout Scripture. So this idea of social justice is a biblical idea and it should not be rejected by God's people, else you reject God. It's truly the work of Jesus Christ, plain and simple. And most people would understand this if they would simply read and, uh, and, and, and try to study their Bibles. Yet reading is not enough. We must dig deep and allow the Holy Spirit to extract its truth into our very hearts. So what the world wants is what Christians are supposed to already have. But some don't. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Why is it that some Christians don't have these things? Well, first, uh, if the world wants these things, Christians uh, don't have them, uh, they say, uh, do they have the right to encourage people to follow Christ? If you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, do you have the right to tell others to follow Christ? But remember... Now, this is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is present because of your salvation. And if you don't have any fruit of the Spirit, 
it's possible that you may not know Jesus Christ. So consider for a moment the things or the differences between the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is the result of the Holy Spirit at work in you. This means that He is present and actively changing you on the inside. It is the work of the Spirit and not your own work. This means that you cannot produce this fruit even if you tried because that is the job or the responsibility of another, namely the Holy Spirit. But even though this is true, we still must allow the Spirit to have access in our hearts. Even after knowing Christ, God will never force you uh, to do anything that you didn't want to happen in your life. Did you know that? That you still must be an obedient and agreeing individual to the work of the Spirit in your life. Uh, verse 16 again here in Galatians 5. Verse 16 says that we must walk by the Spirit. That this is an active choice which we must agree on a consistent basis. Well, what are you saying? I, I, I had to... Uh, bring it down there for a second. Uh, this, again, it is an act of choice. Uh, this has to do with the particular word choice that Paul uses here. And Paul uses this word. And in this Greek word, it says that this is something that you must do again and again and again. You must make a choice to walk in the Spirit today, Tomorrow, the day after that, in the morning, in the evening, at school, at the, at the store, down the street, you must constantly make a choice to actively walk in the Spirit to agree with God that this is what He needs to do in your life. Say but. Yeah, let's try that one more time. Say but. But. Verse 17 mentions the desires of the flesh. Ah. Verse 17 mentions the desires of the flesh. Guess what? The desires of the flesh is also an act of choice. It is an act of choice that we make every morning, every afternoon, every evening, at school, at work, in the store, every single day. Again, the word choice that Paul uses means we make a decision concerning the desires of the flesh every moment. So every moment we have these two activities going on in our life. One says, follow the Spirit. And the other says, follow the desires of the flesh. Every moment we're going back and forth, back and forth, over and over again, trying to figure out what should I do. And we end up doing the things that we don't want to do because we're following the wrong voice. Lord, help us. Now consider the work of the flesh. The work of the flesh is all you. Maybe a temptation brought on by the adversary trying to topple you, but still it's all you, your choice. We need no help doing this, really, because it's something we can really accomplish on our own. How do you decide what to do? It's based on what you want to do, your desire. Whatever you can dream of is your open-door policy into a world of non-stop enjoyment. So we think. 
But please consider that anything a person builds is bound to fail if it is not built on the foundation of Christ. It will eventually come up short. One of the things that attracted me to our current home was that it had a long concrete driveway. You see, my, our, our other home, it had a long uh, asphalt driveway. So one of the things I, that really attracted me, I, I like the idea of the concrete because it uh, gives you a sense of strength and longevity. And in fact, what they typically do uh, in order to make concrete stronger, they will embed it with steel rods. Oh, they say, oh, this is not going anywhere. You're not getting any cracks. You're not getting any of this. Over the last few years, I began to notice cracks developing on the surface. And those little tiny hairline cracks are now starting to expand out just a bit. You see, the works of the flesh are just like concrete. Seems good now. Seems like it's solid and okay, but eventually the cracks will develop in our hearts. Eventually those cracks widen and expose our true nature. Our true nature is a separation from God and a life that is not satisfied with a few works of the flesh. Proverbs 30, verses 15 and 16. Proverbs 30, verses 15 and 16. The leech has two daughters. Give and give. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. Well, I want to say that uh, the flesh never says enough. Our flesh wants to do more. And in fact, uh, that if you give in to one area of the flesh and you say, well, this is all I'm going to do. This is as far as I'm going to go. You better believe the next day the flesh said, why don't you? You've already taken the first step. Why not take the second step? You see, the flesh never says enough. I had enough. I'm satisfied. Never again. The flesh always pushes us forward. Are you saved but don't have the fruit of the Spirit? Did God promise you believers that you would have the fruit of the Spirit? Did God promise you that you would have the fruit of the Spirit? And the answer to that question is yes, he did. And if he promised his Spirit to produce fruit, then how is it possible for you not to have it? Again, basically, the fruit of the Spirit is connected with our maturity in the faith. How could we walk by the Spirit if it is something that we don't have in the first place? We've already covered that. But Jesus says something important about the Spirit. Let's start here. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 17. John 14, verse 17. Jesus says, it's in the red, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be where? In you. 
So you have the Spirit of God if you are indeed in Christ. Uh, you do have the Holy Spirit if Christ is in you and you are in Christ. But, but, but how come I seem not to display the fruit of the Spirit? I don't get it. Well, it has to do with maturity. Plain and simple. God promises Spirit. He gives you the Spirit. God promises His fruit. He gives you His fruit. But the problem, the reason why you can't show anything because you are not mature in the faith, that's your problem. It's there, but the fruit is taking time to ripen and to develop. If the Lord would allow all your fruit to ripen at the same time, it would truly hurt in some vast way, I, I submit to you. In our kitchen right now, as a matter of fact, sitting on one of our tables in our kitchen, we have a bunch of bananas. And we have a bunch of bananas that are green. I bought these bananas two weeks ago. And I put them on the table, and after two or three days, they were still green. I mean, solid green. So I figured that, okay, what I need to do is, I need to take these bananas and I'll put them in the windowsill on the south, southern part of the home. So when, when, when the sun comes rising, that sun is going to blaze on them. So I put them in the windowsill and after two or three days, they were still green. I'm like, there must be something wrong with these bananas. Some funny. And I, start, and I start squeezing the banana. I'm like, that feels like rubber or something like that. But then I remembered, ah, if you take a banana and you put it into a brown paper bag, then it will turn yellow. It will ripen. So I put it in the brown paper bag and put it back up on the table two or three days. Still green. Like, man, this is weird. So I, okay, all right, I got the brown paper bag, I got the green bananas, and they're sitting on the table. How about if I take the brown paper bag with the bananas in them and put them back in the windowsill? Still green. Then finally, just maybe a day or two ago, there's just a little bit of yellow poked out. And I feel I'm like, these things are just really, this has been, it's been all, this week will be like week three, as a matter of fact. This will be week three of these bananas, me and these bananas. There's something wrong, but it's taken a long time for them to ripen. But finally, the, the yellow is finally coming out, even though I wanted to throw it away. So I tried to do what I could in order to hasten its ripening and to hasten its maturity. You see, in our lives, we're kind of like those bananas if we are not mature in the faith. We're not displaying because uh, we have not allowed the Holy Spirit to hasten the ripening or the maturity of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. This is why we are not bearing fruit unto God. Nobody wants that. Who, who wants to eat uh, bananas that have been greed unless they're plantains, right? Even they taste better after they're a little bit yellow too, quite, quite frankly. But if you allow God to mature you in the faith, then you will ripen and you will display the fruit of the Spirit. How do I do that? Well, you, you and I, we must immerse ourselves in the things of God. We must immerse ourselves in church life. 
Immerse ourselves in studying God's word. Immerse ourselves in prayer. Immerse ourselves in worship. No one can ripen you except for you and the Holy Spirit. I can't make you do anything. You must be a willing participant with the work of God in your own life. I tell you, I know that we are, uh, have been uh, memorizing lots of scripture the last few months. And some of you still may be struggling. And for some of you, that one of the reasons that you are struggling is because you are not allowing the Spirit of God to do the work in your life. Even after four or five, you know, uh, chances at it for some of us, not all, this is not the same reason, right? Uh, but one of the reasons why it's, it's not catching is because the Spirit of God is not in our life to do the work. Surely by now, you should internalize some of these words of God to encourage us and to lead us on into maturity. But I do say this, that if you are maturing in your faith, the world wants what you have. But you and I must want what God has already given us even more. The world is looking at you saying, I want the peace that you have. Has anyone ever said that to you, as a matter of fact? Why are you, you're different. Why is it that things are, are, are coming apart all around us, but you seem to be like a laser beam? Why are you like that? That's because you have the fruit of the Spirit. I think confidence should be another fruit of the Spirit. A holy confidence, that is, in God himself. So for God, that he wants to mature us all, yes, what the world needs is love, 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 but what the world needs is the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit. Will you be a vessel unto God that as people see you, they will want you around because you are so encouraging or just your presence uh, just elicits uh, just great peace in the room? If you follow the Lord, He will give you all you need. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name.